So we have these two psalms. Would you please turn to them now? This is part of our series together. We are tonight thinking about the Lord surrounding his people. So we've been praying through the psalms, singing and worshipping, and now looking specifically here. These songs of ascent that we've embarked upon, taken them two at a time, we've seen this as a help for the journey of faith. We concluded um, the last time I spoke um, with that great hymn of John Bunyan where it, the, the hymn ends, It is our avowed intent to be a pilgrim. In other words, we are a people who have set our hearts on pilgrimage. And by definition, that means there is no turning back. And if we are so persuaded, there is nothing to turn back to. But these are unique lessons that the children of Israel learnt as they looked back to the past and as they anticipated future worship. And for us, here we are tonight, um, there are unique lessons that we can learn. For example, um, the joy of walking and talking. One of the things that people appreciated so much with uh, Lionel Durant was when he organised the Thames walks and he would allocate a certain amount of time for us to journey together. And I only managed to get to two of them. Um, many of you have done all of these walks and, and it's a particular joy that as you walk along the Thames at your own pace, uh, you're able to walk and talk. Perhaps in a different way if it was a, a formal meeting. But also, one of the things about uh, walking like this is it is a lesson in listening and learning. Particularly the bird watchers are frustrated with people who are always talking. And they say to you, look, look at that bird. And we're just ambling along, walking, talking, listening, learning, caring, and sharing. Those are the things that ought to be a feature of our pilgrimage together. So there are four lessons that would come out of this that I hope are obvious to us today. We are a pilgrim people, so number one, we need to learn to travel light. One of the first things people do when they book a holiday is say, how much luggage can I take? It's only a week. For some people, it's like moving house. What if it rains? What if, you know, it's, we've got so much baggage, haven't we? We need to travel light. You say, what is essential? What is essential? That's a good discipline. The next lesson for us as we journey together would be this, that you stick together. Yes, you go at your own pace. But there are no shortcuts. 
If you've read John Bunyan, the classic Pilgrim's Progress, which was the most popular book for about a hundred years in this country next to the Bible, he, he makes reference to going to Bypass Meadow. It's so green and lush, but then you end up in the Slough of Dispond, or you're incarcerated in Doubting Castle, and so on. No shortcuts. The third thing that you have to keep in mind is this, that uh, you keep the goal in view. You keep the goal in view. Whatever the, the weather, whatever the prevailing circumstances, you know what your destiny is going to be. And here are these pilgrim people who are going to Jerusalem. And then finally, you should enjoy the journey. Enjoy the journey itself. It isn't simply a means to an end. The journey is a part of our pilgrimage. But two, three years ago, we had a holiday in Italy. And um, Hannah and her niece flew on ahead and her brother-in-law and I, we travelled through France, circumvented Switzerland, came down into Italy. It took us three days. It was delightful. We could jump in a plane and do it in six hours. It was part of the journey, the sheer joy of, of doing it together. The holiday was the journey. And if we didn't get to our destiny, even, it would have been a great joy. Now think of our Christian lives. And why is it that some of us get into a habit of complaining and whinging along the journey? Don't grumble. It's the one thing that wore out Moses was the the grumbling of the people all the time. Enjoy the journey. Perhaps a good example, we've got, uh, it's not, uh, it won't be in your notes there, but turn to uh, Luke's Gospel, just to see how this is perhaps, just an illustration. You'll remember uh, the road to Emmaus, post-resurrection, and quite discouraged, complaining disciples. And, Jesus came alongside them, they didn't know, and, and a conversation ensued. You will see in verse 15, 15, as they talked, this is Luke 24, verse 15, the last chapter of Luke's Gospel, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And often in our journey with fellow believers, Jesus is, becomes almost incarnate at certain times, where we're sharing deeply and there's a sense of his presence. They were kept from recognizing. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still. They face his downcast, and so on and so forth. You read the rest for yourself. And then the journey's over. They've arrived. And you see in verse 30, when they were at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it. It wasn't a communion service. It was in a home. Probably had wine with it. And they were refreshed. What happened? Well, their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And they say to each other, look at verse 32, Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us along the road and opened the scriptures to us? The journey is, is an integral part of our faith, not simply saying, well, we'll arrive and everything will be all right. So the long walk must have been exhilarating. 
you've read Nelson Mandela's account of the long walk to freedom, it's the name of his book, it's the most incredible, uh, humbling book to read. But here's not the long walk to freedom, the long walk to Jerusalem. It might have been exhilarating, accompanied by a lovely, warm, embellishing, enveloping sunshine. Beautiful day. Or it might have been sweltering, searing heat. The only time we went to the Holy Land, we went to the, what's called the Dead Sea, when we saw tourists coming out of the coach, and the first time ever in my life saw something I'd never seen before, people coming out in the sunshine, putting their umbrellas up. Where, I, where we come from, the umbrellas for the rain, not the sun. But it was sweltering hot, and I thought, what a good idea. Was it exhilarating? Was it exasperating? Searing heat or lovely sunshine? Or maybe the rains would come, what's called the autumn rains. How refreshing. Yes, but the torrential rain when it's muddy underfoot and hard going and you're walking through treacle. Not so good. Not so good. Frustrating. Exasperating. Such is the journey. I want to say this, and for whatever else you take from this service, please, please, please take this. And it's this. That one of the dangers we face as Christian people, as believers in the goodness of God, in all of its variety, one of the dangers that we face is this. That we think we should have a trouble-free journey. Where do we get that from? We don't get it from the Bible. It may be wishful thinking that we want to impose upon the Bible. One of the dangers we face is a form of Christianity that we think is trouble-free. In other words, my faith is an insurance policy that I'll be all right. Now, when you think like that, you are in trouble. And some of you have been in trouble like this. You are ill-prepared when the troubles come. And some people have even lost their faith. You're ill-prepared. One of the things that the, this journey does for us, say, get real, there are troubles and dangers and, and frustrations along the way. It should come up in front of you, um, Acts chapter 14. How would we instruct new believers? Just look at this. Would we include this in an Alpha course or Christianity Explored? Sadly, it's often missing, though they are good courses. I'm not knocking that. Turn to Acts chapter 14. Think of this now with me. Acts chapter 14 and verse 21. There's been a, a mission. People have come to faith. And they've returned to Antioch. Right, verse 21, Acts 14. They preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. Now look at this, quote, unquote. This is an integral part of being a Christian. Quote, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. That's what it is to be a Christian. And I was very thankful that when I came to faith as a, as a late teenager, that I was prepared for that. Because the first two years of my life were 
almost the worst that could be, with difficulties and, and, and cynicism, almost to the point of giving up. Whatever else, we will not have a trouble-free journey. We are guaranteed a safe arrival, for sure. It's the bit in between, isn't it? The classic muddle in the middle where we get stuck. And we're ill-prepared when the troubles come. So to the Psalms, are just two quick things that we need to think about. Psalm 124. The question, what if, what if, you see it's repeated twice there as we read, if the Lord had not been on our side, let Israel say, if the Lord had not been on our side, when, when and then there are examples of opposition and so forth, and the setbacks of life, whether that's in terms of health, or, or relationships, and so on and so forth. What if? Or he says, it's a bit like this, just suppose for a moment, just suppose, mind you, what if? Reflecting on troubles of ourselves or indeed our fellow traveller. And we feel for them and we... What if we're doing that and God isn't with us? And these what-ifs crowd in on our mind. And the psalm has a... The psalmist here has a troubled journey, en route, with all of its dangers and difficulties. And of course this is an echo of that great passage in, in Romans 8, which uh, you are familiar with. Let me just read it to you um, as it comes up um, uh, before you. Romans, uh, Acts comes up, yes, Romans, sorry, uh, uh, here we are, Romans 8. Just look at this, Ro Romans 8 um, and verse 31. What if... What if? Just suppose. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And then he throws it down the gauntlet. Look at this. Who shall bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? To journey together. It's God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And there you have it. On the journey. Trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. No. No. In all these we are more than conquerors. I'm convinced that neither death, and isn't it interesting, he starts with that, with the big one. And then, no life, nor angels, nor demons, neither present, the future, powers, height, depth, or anything else will separate us from the love of God. What if? You see that. And it builds into us a sense of, of realism that we brace ourselves for this journey. And past experiences sustain us for the future trials. This random selection that you have there in uh, Psalm 120 are not in any sense meant to be comprehensive. But they say something to us. It's the language of extremity. It's like a, a, a tsunami that threatens to take us away. Verse 4, the flood 
would have engulfed us. The torrent would have swept over us. We finished. And what's the response of faith? What's the response of faith? Look at verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So all of that is put into that one perspective. It's the response of faith. Not simply the response of circumstance. I'm not saying they're not important. They are. But they're not of supreme importance. We have a saviour. He is the Lord. He is Jehovah who will provide. And he's the sovereign creator. And he's with us. If the Lord had not been on our side, if he had not been on our side, that doesn't mean he agrees with me and therefore I can do what I like. No, if the Lord had not been on my side, it's a journey. On my side. With me. And Psalm 125, if the first is what if, the second is God willing. God willing. Or, as used to be in our forebears, used to write letters, always end the letter with DV, Dio Valente, if God wills. Everything is subject to that. One great caveat, God willing. God willing. Well, what do we mean by this? You see, uh, verse Psalm 125, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, who cannot be shaken. So on. Well, just two quick comments. The first is this. We're protected by the Lord. Or we're exposed to danger. And yet, at the same time, we are protected by the Lord. And it's a powerful symbol, isn't it? As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people, both now and forevermore, and tonight, and until our journey is complete. Protected by the Lord, so that there's a sense of confidence, security, protection. And the context, of course, you see in verse 3 and 5, and that's a teasing little one there, isn't there? Is there such a thing as a, as a, as a, a just war? Uh, the scepter of the wicked will not remain over the land allotted to the righteous, for then the righteous might use their hands to do evil. Those who are crooked, or crooked ways, will be banished. It's not ideal. We're protected by the Lord. Of course, that's why amazing grace will always be popular through many dangers, toils and snares. I have already come. Grace has brought me safe thus far. It's a poignant phrase, isn't it? Just thus far, and it, grace will lead me home. And lastly, yeah, we're protected by the Lord, but we're blessed by his peace. But it's, it's a longing, it's a prayer, it's a praise, but it's a, a commending. Look, peace be upon Israel, Israel, the people of God. Peace be upon Israel. in common with all, well, with most of the songs of ascent, here is, if you like, a request for peace. Shalom. Peace be upon you. Shalom Alechem. Peace with you. Peace. In the context of 
conflict or disappointment. I want to close by quoting a hymn. We haven't sung for a long time and uh, we were almost going to sing it tonight but we're going to end with the singing um, Psalm uh, 5 and 4 before we come to communion. Uh, in 1875, um, Edward Bickerseth was visiting Harrogate, uh, visiting uh, some relatives he hadn't seen and on the Sunday he went to the parish church and heard a sermon from the text Isaiah 26.3 which says thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee and the vicar was a bit of a Hebrew scholar and he explained this passage very beautifully and said that uh, this means God will keep you in peace peace the double imperative he will keep you in peace peace the Hebrew gives this repetition so Bickersteth was visiting his dying relative and when he found the man distressed and deeply uncertain, he withdrew and reflected on the morning service. And then he returned with this, it wasn't meant to be a hymn then, it's a hymn now, um, peace, perfect peace, a play on words, peace, 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 perfect peace. And it's a, the hymn asks a question and gives the answer. It's a lovely rhythm there. In this dark world of sin, the blood of Jesus whispers peace within. Peace, perfect peace, thronging duties pressed to do the will of Jesus. This is rest. Peace, perfect peace, our future all unknown. Jesus we know and he's on the throne. And then he concludes, there are several other verses, it's enough, it is enough. Earth's struggles soon shall cease and Jesus call us to heaven's perfect peace. Peace for the journey. Peace on God's people. Well, we're going to sing together this um, lovely um, rendering of Psalms 5 and 4. And we're asking that the Lord would lead us. Lead me, Lord, in your righteousness. For it is thou, Lord, thou only, who makes me dwell in...